Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. morning church Uh, we pray everyone is doing well everyone is staying safe we understand that this isn't the Sunday we were all expecting Um, but even though this isn't the Sunday we all expect and we're going to continue to trust in the faithfulness of our leaders and in the faithfulness of our God we ask that uh, you continue to pray continue to pray that God will give guidance to our leaders give guidance um, to us as a church body so that we can continue to be faithful to him This past week, I got to talk to a beautiful saint in the faith, uh, my grandmother. Uh, She's been wrestling with cancer, but even though her body is declining, her spirit isn't. The reason being, she has placed her trust, she has placed her faith in Christ and in his finished work and ultimately in the resurrection that she too will get to be a part of. As we were speaking, we, we got to talking about kudzu, which is actually where I'm standing right now. And she asked me one question. She said, when you speak, do they listen? And I kind of chuckled and I said, I hope so. And then she said something that I'll never forget. She said, never stop. Never stop proclaiming the good news. Never stop preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. These young men and women need to hear the hope and the freedom that is found in him. And so, Mama, if you're listening... My promise is I'll never stop. You see, as as you know, we have been in the book of Hebrews. The name of our series is Better Than, ultimately meaning that Jesus is better than blank. Anything you add to this empty space, Jesus is better than. We find ourselves in chapter 4, in a section of the passage that gives us the so what of the preceding chapter. The passage, like the rest of this letter, is full of encouragement to help us press on in the faith, to to not fall into the same disobedience of those who came before us. And the author is ultimately talking about the Israelites in the wilderness, how they ultimately allowed unbelief to settle into their hearts. And so the writer urges us, pleads with us to continue the faith, to run the race so that we, we may enter into God's eternal rest. Don't allow unbelief to settle in your heart. You see, to understand what the writer is saying, we have to go back to last week where Adam read from Hebrews 3, 19, and this is what it says. So we that are unable to enter because of unbelief, excuse me, so they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Talking about the Israelites in the wilderness where they said, hey, God, we want to go back because we don't trust you. We want to go back because we had it better We want to go back and they didn't have the belief in Christ. And so unbelief means lack of faith, often with the implications of stubbornly refusing to believe or act in in accordance with God or his law. God, through the work of Christ, has set us free if we believe in him. But sometimes, most times, we want to do it our own way. We want to prove that we're okay without him. 
You see, and we must work hard to not try to prove our own righteousness. We must fight the good fight against our own self-righteousness and not try to justify our position before a holy and righteous God. We have to come to an understanding that the righteousness that we have is not our own. But it is a gift that has been given to us through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Disbelief or unbelief will try to prove to us that Christ isn't real. That Christ's work on the cross wasn't enough. And that is a lie. One of our responsibilities as fellow heirs of the kingdom of God is to exhort one another. Is to encourage one another to live faith-filled lives so that we can combat the unbelief in our own hearts. This is one of the things we do as a church on Sunday morning. Bonhoeffer once put it like this. Let us sit together under the word of God through the gift of preaching and proclaiming the good news of God. This is what we also do when we come together to pray. This is what we do when we fellowship together. This is why we say life is better together. You see, we gather together in corporate worship to encourage one another to, to, to be fully satisfied in Christ and in Him alone. If we fail to do this, we miss out on the opportunity to enter God's eternal rest. You see, we need to learn how to be fully satisfied with God, to, to have this Jesus is better than mentality. See, John Piper once put it like this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Let me ask this question for you to ponder on. Is Jesus everything or has something taken captive your heart more than the beauty and the glory of Christ Jesus and in him crucified? My sermon in a sentence is this. We you and I can find freedom in and through God's word and, and receive hope for an eternal rest. You see, our passage kicks off in, in verse 12 of chapter 4. And it says, let us, excuse me, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul, of spirit, of joints and of marrow. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give an account. Now there's other passages that says that, that God's word is living and effective. Now it's essential to understand what the author is trying to tell us. What he is trying to say. Because the writer of Hebrews begins verse 12 of chapter 4 by trying to underline the role that this phrase, the word of God, plays in our lives, in your life, to help you to persevere to the end. Now, I want to take a minute or two to, to define this phrase that the author uses, the word of God. The writer is trying to get us to understand that this phrase is used to point us, it's used to point others to both the incarnate person of Christ and the written form of Christ. You see, I remember when I first grasped this concept, I was sitting in my systematic theology class and my professor began and said, hey, we're going to study today the theological understanding of how creation came into existence. 
She started where we all should start at the beginning of the book, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you continue to read, it says that God spoke and things came to be. And then she said, hey, would, would you go on and move on to John 1, 1? And, and it says this, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It was in that moment that the Holy Spirit opened my eyes and began to work in me to understand in a deeper sense that Christ has always been. It was through Him that all things exist. It is by Him that all things are sustained. As 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things come and from whom we exist. And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things come and through whom we exist. Romans 8, 11, 36 say, For everything comes from Him and exists by Him and by His power. It is intended for His glory. Colossians 1, 1, 16 says, For in Him all things were created. Things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. You see, this word of God signifies the divine logos, which means the word spoken or written, often with a focus on the content of communication. The word is also a title for Christ, John 1.1. 1, 1 emphasizes his own deity and communicates to us who God is and what he is like. If we don't dig into this, we'll never understand who God is. You see, just like the first words of scripture, my professor said, the first words of the gospel reminds us of how Jesus is the bridge that closes the gap between the Old Testament and the New. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And even then, the word was. See, that which God spoke, that was Christ. And it was there, as a third-year student, that it hit me that the word of God has become the incarnate person of Jesus. He became flesh and died for me, died for you, and has placed on us his righteousness and has made us, who were separated because of sin, right with God. It reminded me of what the writer of John, 1 John 1, 1 through 4 says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which has, the, which with the father has been with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard proclaimed to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship with the Father and the Son. And we are writing all these things that our joy may be complete. You see, maybe I was the only one, but in that moment, the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to grasp this biblical theological truth. And I pray that he does the same for you this morning. That you would grasp the truth as well. For the word of God is living and effective. That vital statement is for you. It is for me that, that as followers of Christ that we should hold on to and not forget. My first point is this. That God's word is alive and active. 
The writer of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, wants us to know that scripture is not a dead book. This is not a dead book. As God lives, scripture lives. It is also wanting us to know that when God speaks, God acts. This is what is meant by effective. What is meant by active in the passage. Take the Genesis 1 account of creation, for example. God created the heavens and the earth with his word, with his speech. And he said, let there be, and it was. The same word we still have with us today in the both written and physical form. We understand the physical form as being Jesus himself and the written being the scriptures that we have today. And both are alive and life-giving today. The Bible is not a bunch of dead, lifeless words. It is the living word of God. It accomplishes everything God wills. That's why when God speaks, things have to happen. You remember the story of Lazarus, that Jesus' friend died. And Jesus shows up. And what does he do? He tells Lazarus, he says, hey, come out of the grave. No, no, no. Let me back up. Because if Jesus would have said, hey, come out of the grave, the power of God's word would have resurrected all of the dead in that area. That is how powerful God's word. Instead, he says, Lazarus, come out. You see, this is the power that we are talking about. You see, God's word is not like a stagnant pool, a puddle of water that has been sitting and festering for thousands of years. No, 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 no. God's word is like the powerful spring that is self-sustaining and life-giving. It flows, it gives life to the dead and dry bones. It brings back to life that which death has taken. It is constantly at work in our lives and in the lives of those around us. All you must do is open it up and read it. But I warn you, it's not a book to be taken lightly. You see, this book, which is alive, will call you to something more. It will call you to die to yourself so that you can be brought back to life in Christ. That's how powerful this book is. And it is for everyone. You see, St. Gregory the Great, he, he quoted this and he said, Scripture is like a river, broad and deep, shallow enough for the lamb to go wading, but deep enough for the elephant to swim. You see, Scripture calls you as you are and says, come and, and, and come as you are so that I can change you. The writer continues to describe Scripture as the sword, sharper than any two-edged sword, which leads me to my second point. God's word reads and untangles our hearts. The writer of Hebrews uses imagery to convey this point that God's word, scripture, is meant to read us, to untangle the wickedness in our own hearts. The writer says scripture is piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, we should approach scripture with a humble submission rather than a guarded suspicion of it. God's word untangles us. It unravels the human heart. It unearths and uproots the sin that has settled deep 
deep in our hearts. It takes out. It, it pulls away the layers so that it can reach the unbelief that has settled. The Bible, the word of God is like no other book ever written. There is no book out there that can cut so deep and heal so well. Like the living and breathing word of God. There is no other book that can discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. The reason being is because this is the only book that is living and breathing. Only God's word, only Jesus himself can do that. If I can use imagery, think of scripture as a a scalpel in the hands of God. And God is performing spiritual surgery on our hearts. The Holy Spirit cuts in and through the sin and the darkness and the wickedness of our hearts to help restore our spiritual health and vitality for Christ. Without God's word, we are as good as dead. God needs to perform surgery in my heart. He needs to perform surgery in our hearts and take the cancer of sin out so that we can have life in Christ You see, God's word is like a pacemaker to a man or a woman with a heart deficiency. If they do not have it, they will not be able to live. God's word is like an oasis in a desert. It is life-giving. God's word is like air to an astronaut out in space. Without it, they cannot survive. God's word is like a black light. It reveals that which the naked eye cannot see. God's word. God's word has the ability to read us, untangle the sin wrapped chains in our hearts. It's, it lets us know that we need a savior. And then it points us to that savior. You see, we have a sin problem. God's word shows us and tells us this, that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. That our hearts are wicked and in need of restoring. Jeremiah 17, 9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? Jesus Christ, the word of God can. See, Mark 7, 21 says, From within and out of the heart come evil thoughts. Jesus said this in Mark 2, 17, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come Not to call righteous the righteous, but I have come to call the sinners. Scripture reveals God to us so that in turn we see our need for him. Isaiah beautifully put this in uh, Isaiah 55. And he said in verse 11, so shall my word that goes out of my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. And shall succeed in the things which I sent it to do. <laughs> what a beautiful saying. What, it, what a beautiful truth to hold on to. That God's word rids us of our wickedness. Through the work of Christ. That the Holy Spirit works in us. And uproots that sin. And begins the process of restoration. It begins to, to fully restore us back to what God called us to be. What he created us to be. You see, meaning that we were created to be worshipers, but sin fractured that image. But Christ and his obedience and in his mercy brings us back to a place where we were originally intended to be with God, near God, to worship God. 
God draws us to Him, breathes life into us, and radically transforms our hearts to live lives of worshipers, to point others to Christ. You see, the author of Hebrews continues in verse 13, and he says, No creature is hidden in His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we have, must give an account. We stand before God naked and exposed. We stand before God with nothing. Just as God's word graciously reveals God to us, it also makes man, you and me, and woman accountable before God. And he is our judge over us. We stand, like scripture says, bare with nothing before a holy and just God. God's word is alive and active. It's untangling our hearts and getting rid of the wickedness in our hearts so that we can be made whole in the sight of God by the finished work of Christ. That is the gospel. That is the good news that the word of God has took on form so that it can live a perfect life, so that it can die for you and for me. It, it gave us righteousness that we did not uh, deserve, but rather we received through the gift of his mercy, through the gift of his grace. The king is alive today and we shall raise a hallelujah and we shall be liberated from our sins if we were to place our trust in him. And if you have, you are a free man and a free woman. And if you haven't, I plead with you like the author pleads with you. Get rid of your sin. Walk away from your sin and turn to God for he will give you hope and rest. My final point is this. God's word gives us the faith. And the hope we need to enter into his rest. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Colossians 3, 16 says, let the word of Christ uh, richly dwell within you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. This sounds like the church, doesn't it? Remember, when we first started, I said that this passage is the so what of the chapter. It gives us an important lesson to understand that God's word is both scripture and the physical person of Christ Jesus. This is important because Jesus came to make unholy people right with a holy God. To give freedom to those who were captive, to bring hope to those who were hopeless, and to give us rest. To those who need it. Before we can understand this. We must have the last piece of the puzzle. And the last piece of the puzzle is faith. Without faith we cannot enter into God's rest. We cannot enter into the hope that we have in him. Faith is not only the last piece of the puzzle. But it is the most crucial part of our faith walk journey with God. Listen. As the author Kodak goes back in Hebrews 4, chapter, uh, verse 1. And he says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. The good news, what good news? The good news of Jesus Christ who has come for you and for me. So that he could unite us by faith with those who would listen. And if you keep reading, you'll see. I'm going to jump down to verse uh, 9. It says, so then, 
there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his whole works that God had did for his people. And in verse 11 it says, Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience or unbelief. Let us therefore strive. Let us run the race. Let us encourage one another to continue what God has called us to do. God has given us the gift of scripture so that we would not follow in Israel's disobedience or unbelief, but rather so that we would follow Christ. So that we would believe and trust in him. The Bible is our guide to knowing and trusting God and finding full satisfaction in him. God has revealed the truth about Christ to us through his word. This is why we must be students of God's word. We must maintain the centrality of its teachings in our hearts rather than unbelief and disbelief. Scripture leads us to a Christ likeness through the Holy Spirit. If we are to become like the incarnate word, if we are to become more and more like Jesus, we must also understand that we must leave our sin behind and carry our cross and move forward with him. If we are to become like him and to enjoy an eternity with him, we must place our faith in our trust. We must be students. We must be studious. We must dive into God's word and allow it to saturate in us. Allow it to be both alive and active in us today. Allow the word of God to read us and untangle our hearts. Allow the word of God to help us to to give us this rest so that we may place our trust in Jesus and have the assurance that like my grandmother, that we can say on the last time when, when we are in our deathbed or when we just walk every day to have the confidence to say, I trust in you. And I want to close with this. A poem by Alexander Pope. My prayer and my hope is that you would turn from your sin, that you would see that the word of God is alive and active right now and it is tugging at your heart. It is wanting to pull back the layers so that it can reveal the beauty and the glory and the majesty of Christ to you. I urge you, like the Hebrew writer urges us, how he urges the readers to trust and continue to run the race because Jesus is better than anything else that we can chase after. And so I want to close with this poem. May this poem also reflect in our lives every day. Alexander, the title of this poem by Alexander is The Dying Christian to His Soul. Listen, please. Vital spark of heavenly flame. Quiet, oh quiet, this mortal frame. Trembling, hoping, lingering, flying. Oh, the pain, the bliss of dying. Cease found nature cease thy strife and let me languish into life hark the whisper angels say sister spirit come away what is this absorbs me quiet steals my senses shuts my sight drowns my spirit drowns my breath tell me my soul can this be death the world recedes it disappears And heavens opens my eyes and ears. With sounds, seraphic rings, lend lend your wings, I mount, I fly. O grave, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? Let us pray. Father, 
we come before you knowing that you are better than Jesus. If there is anyone seeing and listening today, may they turn to you. May they understand that your word is alive and active. May they understand that your word is is reading us. It's untangling the wickedness in our hearts. And that your word is also giving us the faith and the hope that we need to trust and run the race so that we could enter into your eternal rest. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done. Thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at